Welcome to Five Phenomenon Podcast. I am your host, Shane Hazen. Coming up this week, we have watched many, many hours of all versions of Frank Herbert's Dune and its various adaptations. Um, with me again this week is Ted Haycraft. Where does the, where does the message come from? Uh, what is it? The message is that wow, the new Dune starts out. What does it say? Oh, dreams are from dreams. The- or dreams or messages from the deep. Yes. Or, oh man, I, I, I should have written this down. Oh no, we're off to the wrong track. First off, what'd you watch this week? Uh, actually, before I, because I think you're going to be in the opposite camp where I spent a shit ton of time watching these dunes this week, no, and you actually got some other stuff in. No, I did. I did watch a lot of dunes, but I did watch On the Rocks. Uh, with uh, so we Sophia Coppola yeah, movie. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What'd you think? I'll put you on the spot there. Um, uh, it was just like a light, like, like a very, t- very slight. Yeah, like a pastry. Uh, I, I watched it after the fact. And I started thinking, I wish I, I didn't think of Co- uh, Francis Ford Coppola until after I saw the movie. And I was like, oh, I should have watched that with that in mind. Him, her, and her relationship with her father. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it actually did cross my mind. It, I, it didn't. It didn't cross yeah. my mind until after the movie. I was excited just the fact that it came out on Blu ray. And DVD, because hmm. uh, that's one of those. Because the Apple movies. Yeah, it was an Apple movie. I thought uh, they're not going to, you know, these things. I, not- I, I didn't realize that new um, Velvet Underground documentary uh, directed by. Um, oh, Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes. The Todd Haynes Velvet Underground documentary is an Apple movie. Oh, well, hopefully that'll be on Blu ray too. I mean, as you know, as you know I like hard copies. You like hard copies. Yes. You like uh, physical media. Yeah. Physical media, I forgot to tell you. Uh, uh, it completely shot on me last week. We were watching, I mentioned last episode, I was watching Aliens with my nephew, and, and one of the key sequences, Scratch died. And we didn't get to watch like a minute of the movie. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Speaking of Aliens, I did see Near, I revisited Near Dark and uh, showed me. How was Wyoming. that? I think it wasn't the greatest print, but yeah, it, it was really. It was a print? No, no, no. It was, I mean, it was a off of, it was the print, they were, the transfer that was. The transfer, like, okay. It was not that great uh, in the way it was projected, but. It was really fascinating to revisit that thing, 1987, and I remember that thing being so cutting edge and so uh, gruesome and mm-hmm. hip and cool and, and dark and not. everything. And it's 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 uh, my how much the cinema has changed since 1987. Oh. It just seemed like oh, this is sort of the tame. Oh, and I forgot I forgot how much the, it, it relies on the, the core love story in the, uh-huh. in the film, and it takes forever to get going in some ways, and. It's only it's her, it's only a big little second film technically. She did the Loveless with another person. What's the one she did with Jamie Lee Curtis? That's and Blood Blue Steel. Yeah. Is that after that? That's after this. Okay, I, I've yeah. seen I've seen Near Dark, and that's one of those movies that I remember everyone loving, and I just kind of oh really yield yield it. No no no, I, I like it. I yeah. just I just I. Well, I know I know what you're saying. Yeah, I didn't dislike it at all. But you didn't get as excited. There's a lot. And there's a lot to like about it. Right. There's you just didn't have the buzz that everybody else had around you. But I mean, there's plenty of movies where it's like, oh, I need to see this again. Yeah. And, and and there's been many movies where I saw it again. Like, oh, I see what you see the second time. Yeah. But Lance is just, Lance Henriksen. is so good. Uh, looked so. Uh, uh, he's got such an iconic face for the. Uh, it, it, when he really thins out and he puts a scar on his face. I mean, he's just really gruesome. He, I watched Network a few weeks ago. You know, he's got a cameo in Network. Oh, yeah. Well, he, he I think he, the story on him, I always thought was interesting. He was in Close Encounters. He's one of the. Uh, oh, that's, that makes sense. On the. Uh, um, one of the. Uh, um, at the government end. guys. Yeah, at the end, and I think he, uh, I think the story goes that he calls some ruffle with Spielberg, and it kind of uh, cut him out. Kind of blacklisted him for a little bit or something. Or uh, I don't know, or something. He just he was on because he's in Lumet. Yeah, Lumet used him a lot of uh, several times. Oh, I, I didn't know that. He's in. Uh, I think he's in. I, I want to say he's in Dog Day Afternoon, but he had a kind of a big. He was on the way to doing a, you know, he was 
he was going up that way, and all of a sudden he ends up over here sideways in exploitation. Our so. would-be Terminator. Yeah. Um, the only movie I did again, I didn't really watch much this week, but the one thing I did watch it was I didn't watch it all the way through. It was just on TCM. Uh, but speaking of science fiction movies from 1984 that uh, look don't exactly do good world building or look tinny. Do you remember a movie with Robert Urich called The Ice Pirates? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Do you like it? I don't think I saw it. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, but that was that was a that had a big marketing push, and it was in this. I it did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, in the wake of a whatever, what year was that? You know, I think it's eighty four. Yeah, that whole year, everything was got everything. You know, any science science fiction or fantasy was just. I think I was sho- shocked that it was a big MGM movie, yeah, or, but yeah. because it does. Basically, years ago when I was a kid, um, I, I sleepover. I watched it whenever. Uh, if, we, if, I, if my origin story for film comes from National Video in the North Side, whatever is that National Video we rented, and at sleepovers you get the five for five days. And I remember seeing Ice Pirates right before my parents picked me up, and all of us agreed it. It was like there's something watchable about it, but it was really cheesy. Um, but I stayed watching it this time for one particular scene. Do you know this gag? I think it's from Samurai movies might do it. I remember it from this movie uh, that I think has Christopher Lambert in the 90s. But it's a sword fighting gag where you, you fight someone with a sword and you do these like impressive moves. And the person you're fighting against just kind of like looks at you. And, and then he falls down or his head falls off or his hands fall off or whatever. Yeah. He does. A, he, he does a nod and then it turns out his head is decapitated. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 yeah, it's been done before. It was right. the first time I ever saw that. Yeah. So I had to, I went to a half hour in the movie. This movie's got Robert Urich in Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston's the one that does the gag. Yeah. Is it Daphne Sugiya or it's the girl? No, you're thinking of Spaceballs, I think. No, that's right. Okay. Yeah. Who's the girl, the leading lady in Ice Bars? Anyway, uh, I I hate to say it, I also noted that I didn't note it. Yeah. Oh, I want before we go, get too far away. I wanted to say uh, about near dark Bill Paxton. Boy, did we miss him? Yeah. Because he he's such so fun in this film. He he it's that's worth the price alone. Just watching Bill having just so much fun with this uh, his this part. And they never said the word vampires in the film. Really, Bill Paxton was a great pr- uh, presence in person too. I got to meet him one time. Maybe I'll, I'll tell that story someday. But we were going to be in a long episode with this because maybe not or maybe not i don't know we'll see we watched so much dune the inspiration for this is the denny villeneuve part one of which a year coming for at least it's been finished waiting for release but like this was supposed to be my next big cinema mountain to watch Finally came and it did. Uh, to me, it didn't disappoint. It did not disappoint. Let me say this: that uh, uh, Denny did not disappoint. Uh, that's great because I was kind of. I think. Do you remember when I said I kind of went into this with a little, a little bit of the shrug of the shoulders, it's a slight shrug because I. Uh, He's such a talent. You want him to be using on something else. Well, yeah, than a, you know, the version we've ever seen. If if you indulge me here, I wouldn't saw prisoners. I don't. I don't think I even knew who, who the director was. Same same with me when I, I watched. I think it prisoners. was it was just I don't know because of the cast. I guess Hugh Jackman in the cast. Well, I guess? it was in Cindy's and uh, Prisoners script had been around for a while. Brian Singer was going to do it for a long time. Well, I, yeah, I didn't know anything about it in Cindy's at all. Okay. Uh, so I guess go see it, and I was like, I really enjoyed it. it was just like, you know, to me, it was just like a. A nice big egg. You know, I wasn't film. really that into it, but I remember thinking there's a lot of like the art into it. There's a there's a there's there's a real presence, and I mean, it was shot by Roger Deakin, so that was obviously 
Yeah. Which the many of collaborations he's done with Roger Deakins. And when a film can really jolt me almost, uh, what do you call it, nervous reaction, uh, anxiousness or physical reaction and it, when he's racing to the hospital near the end yeah that, God, that, that, that is that is a, that is a for some reason sequence. that sequence really did a number on me and i was like wow that does you know that doesn't happen all the time yeah i see a lot of action scenes and you just sit there and let it wash over you so i thought that was interesting and then i saw um probably saw uh what was that oh sicario. sicario yeah so sicario comes next I'm like, oh my gosh, I really lot like this. This really riveted me. So then, when then you then you and I we watched Enemy, Enemy, together. which went straight to video here in Evansville. I mean, I don't know if it, I want the. I never saw it in a theater. Yeah. So and I got and then that sold it right there. That I think you were that night. You probably witnessed me go. I'm in. No, we both had the same reaction because yeah. they, they were one of the greatest penultimate shots. Uh, the last two shots of a movie. Oh ever. yeah, and just and I said, okay, this guy's it. So then I did my home. I went. I went out and I like hard copy, so I went and re- I got it in Cindy's, which I thought was amazing. It was Oscar nominated, uh-huh. uh, and uh, then the the one before that about the school shooting. That um, that one I can't remember. Oh, we should we should know the name of that. That one that one was on Amazon Prime for a while. That one blew my mind. Really good, and then the one about the talk with the talking fish and the really weird one before that. I haven't seen I, that. But then I can't find his debut one. That, that his, his first feature. That's the one. I, I think I have seen his first one. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said the other day. Yeah, I haven't tracked that down yet. Um, well, then, we, we should we should acknowledge that like Villeneuve is kind of on um, uh, di- uh, weird comparison, but a Disney Spielberg like streak of like critical. Com- well, you know, remember the, it's like, think about Ridley Scott. We, we talked about just the recent. Oh, well, I, I guess they were, I wouldn't compare because there's not. No, 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 no. no. Success, I'm talking about but... like it's, I'm talking about Alien, Blade Runner, Legend. He's like uh, so. So he does. Enemy has a lot of weirdness in it, and uh, Sicario's grounded, of course, but Arrival. And then Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and it's like, oh my gosh! And I, and the, he's 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 hitting home runs every time. Yeah, he's and, he, it, it's 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 swinging for the fences and hitting home runs every time. So that's, that's they, the streak I'm talking about. Right. So now here we get to they announced Dune. I'm like, uh, really? Okay. His enthusiasm for Dune was what kind of excited me because we we can we're going to come to this a lot in this episode. We acknowledge that no one has adapted Dune well, and I want to get into why. But um, I reread the book, or not reread, read the book for the first time this year in prep for this, and I ha- I got into a conversation with another friend who had read the book for the first time this year, also in prep, and we both had the same reaction where we didn't. For years, Aaron, this is the, one of the greatest and ultimate science fiction novels that has influenced everything. And, you know, people like have to, like, really said, like, this book has everything about life in it. Or one of those books that, like, right, encompasses right, yeah, everything. Yes. We both have this reaction, like, it's fine. And, but then I, I made this realization that there's, we we all have, like, some big world build building books that assess us. And it's great to hear Maybe if you'd read it and you don't feel it, like a Lord of the Rings or something like that, maybe you may not be into Lord of the Rings, but you know someone who's into Lord of the Rings. And when they sell you about what's amazing about a part of it, like why it works, like when you finally get Peter Jackson making his adaptation of it, and you're like, oh, I get it. Villeneuve sound like that. Like my, And my, did he get it? Because well, my, you, you my, just my, read the book. I mean, it's the be- clearly the best version. My example was like when I hear people talk about Dune is how I talk about Watchmen. Watchmen's mine. I don't know what your, yours would probably be the whole Marvel universe from <laughs> 1965 to. Uh, but uh, well, well, I mean, I mean, but at the same time, I don't know because I was curious. Like, if someone isn't familiar with the book, okay. But you read. Can, how, what if you uh, have you sat down and dodged yourself back and think if this this drop this book dropping 65. 
how how was the impact? Can you understand? The, the problem is world building books in general, and like the reason in Dune with its bad adapt not bad adaptations, but like adaptations that are don't clearly work as strongly as it sounds like it should. Forever, it comes with the problem that a lot of giant world building things where it's like too many characters, um, a, a lot of crazy sounding names, and it's all thrown at you at once, and it's not uh, elegantly unfolded so that you you keep it but then you know Jordowski's Dune was supposed to have been around 70 it was the, all the stuff from the documentary which we were going to talk about from that too uh, was supposed to be around 76 or 77 Star Wars then ends up being the version of that that takes a lot from Dune but is a great example of world building where you gradually followed into the world and you then get well, out yeah, <laughs> your eyes are rolling so well, far in the back of their head you, know, you, you could almost be a huat well you know my you know my take on George and Star Wars, but you got to admit it's an elegant world building. Yeah, but it's world building after the fact in, in, some, in many ways. Um, well, it's not. It's not the details. Be, it's how it's it, the details are then are yeah, presented yeah, from a story. Or to, the story is told. I just, I'm just convinced. I, I you know until George himself calls me or and, and or emails me or talks to me in person that uh, you can't convince me that it, it was just a one-off it was supposed to be a one-off film and it was a, 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 a he took everything he loved everything from comic books to her uh frank herbert to everything and it's it's clearly dune is, is an influence on this yeah um and, and i'm just thinking i just and i just and, he, and then he got it it, it it hit a nerve and then then you get he got to play world building from that Sure. Uh, I mean, it was funny. After the fact. I got, I got annoyed at, I think it's the first episode of the Mandalorian second season where there's a sandworm in there. And I was like, oh, it took forever to get a sandworm into Star Wars. And then someone pointed out that the um, um, the pit, the, the Sarlacc oh, yeah, pit yeah. In, in Return of the Jedi is clearly a sandworm. Well, I mean, and, and the fact that Luke and Leah kiss that, you know, he hadn't figured all that out yet. See, it's right there. You know? Oh, I thought you were going to do some incestual thing between <laughs> Paul and Jessica or something like that, or Johnny. Uh, but uh, anyway, get, but but about the book. Getting into the book, I have not read that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm embarrassed to say that I, read, I have not. You you are very. Today, I also the, the the weird thing about the book is like it's intimidatingly long, but it's not as long. When I finally read it, I, I it's it's published in different versions. Where there's a 500 page version, which is the first version, and then like the doorstop that everyone knows is a 900, but it's airport level. It ends with the appendices, and I just skipped those. I read those today, so I have officially read all the first book, and I'm thinking about starting Doom Messiah too. Well, uh, is he won all the prizes? He won the top prizes for science won fiction. Won the there. first Nebula. Yes, I didn't realize that. But where does this stand in the world world literature? Is it because you know science fiction has always been in the, you know kind of poo pooed? Herbert. Kind of one of the cool the things about, I don't the prose is for the most part okay. Um, it's pretty pretty good, um, but not not it's not Neil Gaiman level of like oh this is a is this is a high high is high literary level who also just happens to do genre or something like that. Yeah, was Gaiman considered high literary? Yes, you, amongst I mean yes amongst the critics. Yes, Neil Gaiman is a great pro stylist. Well, yeah, but I mean you, you're saying that, but I'm I want I want, I'm talking about the Horty Torty. Yes. Uh, I yes, have, I haven't seen that. I, I yes, really, Michael Michael Chabon come on is a big. But um, one of the crazier things about Herbert's backstory, and that I think does come across in the book, is just there's so much, the world building, so much details, and that it, it really brings itself to multiple readings. And then, like, he, he was a speechwriter 
and half of the his critique of power in all the Dune novels comes out like and at the same time like in the first book it's really just rising up and the stuff I'm excited about is in Messiah which I still haven't read but I know what happens but like and he start half his notes for Dune came when he worked for like the U.S. Agricultural Department <laughs> and he was looking at rural sand anyway okay so the book comes out 65 it has a checkered uh, I don't know if America had a sci-fi new wave like but if you don't count something like I, people are talking about the foundation books right now because of the Apple adaptation but it feels like the first really big science fiction world building long epic it's like the science fiction follow up to Lord of the Rings and like it has that same effect for people yeah I mean uh, yeah I, I haven't you know uh, I'm thinking about the book I'm asking someone who still doesn't like, well, I mean, you, no, you no, don't no. Do, you knew people read Dune whenever oh yeah I mean, well I've always been did people try to sell you on Dune whenever uh, over the years no I would I grew up with uh, friends and peers and and circles of people and working at the comic book store and doing this and that he uh, everybody assumes that I'm a real red science fiction reader and uh -huh. I'm, actually I'm not I am embarrassed to say uh, I have a lot in my library. I would buy it and have it on the shelf. But yeah, that's that's the Ted I know. <laughs> I I was very tempted to get someone that is a Dune fan on here, but the thing is, we know like uh, how overwhelming and daunting. Sometimes they're just like, I, I, like it's it's, it's yeah. termite art talking about it. Okay, well Herbert. let's let, let's go ahead and get to the film adaptations of it. So the first version of this was bought by I, I you're going to have to fill this in for me, but it's the Planet of the Apes producer. Oh, really? Arthur P. Jacobs? Yes. Really? And he died in like 72, but the, he was going to do the very first version. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, and then the rights after he died, uh rights lapsed, and I guess that's whenever we get Jodorowsky's Dune and Michel Sido, who um they Somehow, Jodorowsky's coming off of Holy Mountain. Holy, okay. Well, what's your <laughs> what's your what's your feeling on Jodorowsky in general? Like, were, well, were you watching El Topo is not going to come to Evansville. Like, uh, when did you get? Or, no, or nor is Holy Mountain, right? No, none of those played here. Uh, uh, did you see them on bootleg no, VHS? I saw. I had a, I had a VHS bootleg of El Topo because um, it was of course mainly because I was interested in spaghetti. Wars. I have an interesting history of El Topo, but I can't. I don't. That's a that's a Tangent. I, I mean, do want to do a Holy Mountain episode. He, the, the, first of all, if you haven't seen Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary put up at Sony Classics. That's out. mainly what we're I'm, I'm right. yeah, talking I think about. It, yes. You should see it. Everybody should see it. So For one, years considered the greatest movie never made um, up there with uh, Orson Welles' Heart of Darkness. Yeah. So, um, and uh, what was the, the question you wanted now? Oh, you know who was originally one of the people that uh, Jacobs went after to direct Dune? David fucking Lean. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, desert. They're thinking desert. That's, that's, that's such a... No, but Jordan yeah. Ruskie's coming off of Holy Mountain, which but if, yeah. you, if you have not seen Holy Mountain, I've been lucky enough to only see it... I've seen it twice. I have it on Blu-ray, but I've only seen it twice and on prints in theaters with people where it's not a movie I could stop. It is... Uh, you can understand going from that to why it went to David Lynch, maybe, just because Jordan Ruskie is one of the great surrealist filmmakers. Right, but, and but at the same time, he's very literal with his stuff, and it's just like it's it's done in a very uh, low grade. Uh, sex and shit are really thrown in your face. But what's also bonkers is he did not he, he did not go looking for Dune. 
Oh, that's but the the thing about Eduardo Esky's doing. I we both rewatched that documentary yes. last night. He's also a very facetious salesman. It sounds like and you the, hear him talking, and he tells legend of it. What's it, the great? What's the word? Because I always butcher it with for storyteller, great storyteller, raconteur. He's a, he's a great raconteur. Yeah, uh, but he's also uh, but a good another word for raconteur is bullshitter. Well, I, yeah. He he just he just the story he tells in the documentary it was just like his friends liked it. So this this producer is throwing some money off him. Says he can do anything. He says and he says he can do Hamlet. He can do I forget what else he mentions. He's like, I do Dune. I have not read Dune. I should not do the accent. I... <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, but hey, I want to uh, get really uh, a capsule of summation of the George Lucas Dune. He assembles this great, uh, a, gr- a wonderful group of people. They make this giant Bible. Including, uh, most notably, uh, Dan O'Bannon and Mobius and Chris Voss, all who ended up working on And Giger. And H.R. Giger, excuse yeah, me, yeah. H.R. Giger. Yeah, more so. Uh, but, oh, no, yeah, the crew, uh, his warriors. I, gotta, I gathered my warriors to fight, to do, do the, get those dreams. One of the things I really pointed out uh, last night in watching the documentaries, he wanted Giger to particularly do the Harkonnen sequences. Oh, yeah. He, he called, he has a great phrase for Giger, the ill art. Well, that's, that's the beautiful thing. He was going to put, you know, Pink Floyd was going to do the music for One Planet and the Magma. Yeah, Pink Floyd was going to do the Atreides and Magma yeah. was going to do the Harkonnen. So everybody had their own look and everybody had their own feel and song and music and everything. But anyway, the bottom line is he he gets them all. They all work on this for a couple of years and they put this together. The whole film is, the entire film is storyboarded by Mobius. And they get this giant book. It's as big as... Tim Lucas's Baba book. It's even bigger, I think. It's in <laughs> the documentary. Did, did, I mean, it's never been released or anything like. That. No, and I don't know apparently why. There's, a, there's only apparently only two, but see, I got the uh, I got the uh, Nicholas London Riffin is one of the talking heads, and he says there's only two, and he says I got to watch this movie no one's ever seen. Uh, but apparently, the, I got the impression there were more than two because he. I think they got some left behind in studios. When he went around the show again, I think rock contour bullshitter. Well, we don't know. I mean, they don't. They don't. They we never, don't. We don't. don't. You're right. We don't. So, but think about that because to my mind is like, oh, George happens to walk in the studio. He sees the book. He runs through it. Uh, Lucas uh, started writing Star Wars in '73, and uh, all these guys are going. So to, he had, he would have had to gone to Herbert's book to. I don't know. Like he maybe changed some stuff, but the, the Frank or uh, Ralph McQuarrie some stuff maybe. Maybe I, I that I think that's posited a little in the documentary. They talk also about Star Wars riffs in there. Yeah, and a lot of the big question is if Yordaroski's Dune was made, would start what what happens to Star Wars? And here's the point I really want to make: this is a, this is going to be the next step beyond Holy Mountain with money in it. I mean, one of the reasons that they had trouble selling it to the studios who were impressed with the book is he's telling everyone it might be a 12 to 20 hour movie. Yes. Uh, the length was going to be really long, which is, uh, uh, we, we know how that goes. Let's all go back to Stroheim and, and greed. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and uh, that never goes down well. Uh, then uh, also the thing about George too, George with Star Wars, he was throwing everything in there. There's Pulp Fiction, there's Alex Raymond, there's Flash Gordon, Buck Rogers, everything is in there. And, the, and, the, and Jack Kirby, of course, all that is just all thrown. Check out our Je- Star Wars Jack Kirby episode. Well, I actually said something about I love the way. Did you notice the way um, uh, George Orski was talking about Mobius and he's a genius mm-hmm. and how he would just draw and draw and real fast, real fast. It's exactly like Kirby. You know, I, we got people talking about how Jack would sit at the drawing board and just start drawing and without I, anything. I, I, I looked up Mobius's actual filmography, like because I didn't realize he'd how much he'd actually done. We got did Alien. Do you know a movie Time Masters? 
Yeah, I remember it, the title. I can't, I can't, it's not giving the details. Not Tron, Masters of the Universe. Yeah. Uh, I weirdly... You uh, know what John Byrne says about Masters of the Universe, the comic artist? He says that's a, that looks like the, the, the most uh, uh, Jack Kirby live-action film they ever made. Uh, you know, it looks like a Jack Kirby film. Weirdly, it came up on the beginning. I talked with uh, on the Yuval Noel Harari episode with uh, Julio Quintana about we watched that movie a lot as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, and like, we, and both our complaint was like, it is nothing like the toys we played with. <laughs> uh, Masters of the Universe, Willow, Little Nemo, Adventures in Slumberman. Do you remember that animated movie? Yeah. The Abyss. And he did a lot of work on, and this one blew my mind, Space Jam. Huh. Interesting. And then the fifth element, which is a very obvious one. That's probably the 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 one where it's it's most apparent. Yeah. Yeah. Very French. Very French science fiction. But then him and uh, Jodorowsky, their contribution. They they did a lot together. They did uh, um, the Incal, which I still have never read all the way through. I've only read the first part, not of the two parts, uh, and uh, Meta Barons. Um, but well, yeah, it's that's it's it makes it very clear that Jodorowsky is a pretty major comic book uh, writer because of that. Yeah, if he hadn't been for this Dune project and it also falling apart, uh, if he had if they had actually made the film, we would never have the comic books of that Jodorowsky wrote. Uh, there's a good chance we never would have seen those. Which I think, and there's a part of me when I, the little of the Incal I have read, if if this is what um, Dune would have felt like, it's still impressive. Um. I, I and I if it feels like someone taking a really dense text who made the holy mountain. Well, let me ask you this again, because we uh, about the book. I'm trying to really pin you down on this. Is does the book is the book confusing? Is the book surrealistic? Is the book uh, hallucinogenic? Is it or is it just a big epic story that works in a book form? And it's going to take. Uh, uh, it's going to take. It may not be able to translate properly. Rereading the, the appendices today, I remember that feeling where I there are long passages you glaze your eyes over. Really, there's a lot of details in it, and there's a lot of characters in it. But does and, everything congeal? Does everything work? And, yes. I mean, and I, I think because the thing is, when you talk to someone else, it's it's again like reading dense world building. This is a maybe a personal reaction on mine, but like it. it um, other people picked up details you didn't, and then you get someone like Peter Jackson doing Lord of the Rings or Denis Villeneuve, who 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 have reread it over and over and understand the exact dramatic idea behind each scene and can make a scene like the Gom Jabbar scene work better than anyone else has. Even though that that's the Gom Jabbar scene is the opening scene of the novel, and like I, we, which which is which is what the, I, hand, the hand in the, the, yeah, uh, right, the right. painting. We've seen three different versions of it this right. week. Yes, um, the. <laughs> Yeah, I just you know, the Bill New version is the first one I've ever seen work, and maybe better even than the book. Yeah, um, I, mm. details are all over the place. When I was reading the appendices, like uh, the Benny Gesserit uh, woman that that did the um, test, and the appendix says like, "Oh, that's the highest amount of pain a human being's ever gone through because of the the played it out." That's in the appendix, five hundred pages after the first scene in the book. Well, you know, I watched the theatrical version, Lynch theatrical. I watched the extended Alan Smithy version. <laughs> I watched the TV series, and I watched, and then I saw the. Uh, we 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 haven't detailed. I, I, I know, but I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah, you you, you uh, I watched the same. I watched the um I watched a different cut. I watched this alternate Redux cut on YouTube instead of the Alan Smithy. But I watched the theatrical. I've seen the theatrical a few months ago, and we both watched the Sci-Fi Channel series from 2000, and then the Denny Bill new thing. And you were just saying. And what I wanted to say was, uh, every version I'm watching, I it's. I get lost. I mean, it's like everything's not spelled out 
right? It, you know, it depends on the writer and the director go, how they're jumping along and progressing. And I'm and I'm thinking they're leaving things out, or they just leave it up to you know mystical gobbledygook that you have to kind of. But did you uh, feel that way in the Villeneuve version? Well, I remember. Remember, I would, do you remember what I said that night? I think after we came, we saw an IMAX, and I no. came out of there thinking. I think we were in the lobby, and I said, you know, I typically the you know dreams and things that come, you know, dreams that come to you, and they're and it's like ah, it's like you know those, those a lot of times don't. Work. I do remember you saying this, and I said it. This one, this seems to really work. This, this whatever Denis, how he portrayed it. And, and and did it cinematically. It really worked, for, and and it played off in a, in a good way, uh, as opposed to like I, a really bad example to me is Snyder's Justice League, where Bruce Wayne's having these dreams. Now uh, there's one with the Flash makes sense. The Flash can you know can come out and warn him because he's traveling through time. Mm-hmm. Flashpoint gobbledygook. goop. But then he's just telling these flat out dreams of the future. Well, is we the dreams are in the book. They they aren't as deep. They are no no no. Villeneuve, Villeneuve uses Bruce Wayne. I mean, I'm talking. I was talking about the Bruce Wayne. There's no no you know, you're, no, no the, the 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 Justice League ones. We we talked about this yeah, just because it's the subjectivities of the characters yeah, switch. Yeah, and uh, you're dealing with a, a universe where's you know oh, I had a dream of the future. You know you those yeah. Things are, this I remember back at, going back to our peak TV episodes. This used to be a complaint on TV a lot where uh, everyone wrote dream. Uh, it was mainly like Sopranos and Buffy were the only ones that wrote good dreams because every other uh, person writing dreams writes them as a narrative device of like uh, foreshadowing of where we're going to go. Or whereas dreams are nonsensical, but yeah, I mean, but this I, one's a plot device that's more the the former. In the you know in a in a world we live in the reality we live in yeah our dreams are just you know they're all they're crazy but they don't you know I, I don't wake up going oh I'm going to meet the love of my life because uh-huh. I saw this I had this vision in my dream I did Sean Young showed up in my you know dreamers I once heard dreams described as uh when uh, all our senses are turned off except our brains yeah and I just so I I think the knee actually unlocked was able to unlock that much better than the previous version. Well, I want to get to this because um, I, I do have a thesis on this mainly, but it goes into the David Lynch thing, but there's, and it also applies to what happened in between Jodorowsky's Dune and David Lynch's version, which is the Ridley Scott attempted version. That <laughs> yeah. Dino De Laurentiis picks up the rights to it. I think he spent a lot of money on it. And after Alien, Ridley Scott was going to do it. And Ridley Scott was on it for like a year, maybe two, I think. I, I'm not sure. He left for um, supposedly three big reasons. One, he didn't get along with Dino De Laurentiis, which I don't 100% buy because you and I were talking about this before. One, he's worked with uh, Arnon Mission and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, but also on Hannibal, he ended up working back with Dino De Laurentiis. So he has made one, a movie with him. The one reason that is clear, his brother died. and Not Tony. This is another brother. They're, yeah, they're another brother. But the other big reason is the script was by Rudy Woolitzer, who was writing it, who wrote uh, one of your favorites, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Which is interesting. I had that in my notes about something else about Pat Garrett. We'll get to that later. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> he also wrote, in our, you can go back to our episode on Two Lane Blacktop. We talk a little about it. Rudy Woolitzer is also a very a very literary writer. His, uh, uh, his Two Lane Blacktop script was printed in uh, Esquire, I think. And existential, a lot of existentialism, very pared down. Yeah. And one of the really Scott's complaints was that he thought the novel was being too pared down. Mm. And I, part of me is like, isn't that a, the interpretation we should have been seeing all along? Like, cause even, even Villeneuve's version, you know, there's a part of me that thinks this plot doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, he's made two movies out of it, but part of the success I think is how he streamlined so much of it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's like he, he's learned from the past mistakes and and really fine tuned it. And by doing the 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 Blade Runner sequel and Dune Arrival, he was just yeah, I think Denise at the right time, the right point, and the cast. Well, you also cast, have two, you have two unsung heroes: his screen, his co-writers John Spades and Eric Roth. Eric Roth, who's who is who is like uh, pared down many a massive novel before. Right. Yeah. Right. You were about to say something about the cast. No, and the, and and, the, and, the, and and it's such a perfectly cast movie. You know, yeah. Well, you're talking about casting from all the movies that are interesting too. But uh, well, do we want to stay linear on this? Because yeah, I know it's gonna it's gonna be. I, I I don't know how linear we can stay on this, but because I, I, we keep on jumping back. And well, forth. but watching all these different versions, you do get a sense of like what's uh, well cast versus what's okay cast. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because because there's a lot of stuff in the Lynch version. It's like that's great casting, and there's a lot of. Oof. But Jodorowsky's like the cast. We did. We I gotta get his cast out before. Or he oh was, yeah. Because he was gonna have David Carradine play the Duke. One great sign that I don't think this movie would have been as good as everyone said uh, is that Paul was going to be Jodorowsky's son. That could be dangerous. Yeah. Um, Salvador Dali was going to play the Emperor of the Galaxy, which he has a. They had a pretty ingenious way of talking because Dali said he wanted to be the highest paid actor <laughs> of all time. And Jodorowsky then did the math and said, I probably only need him on screen for three to five minutes. So they're going to pay him per minute, which some actors have supposedly still done that. When we get to David Lynch's version, Sting plays um, the the nephew Harkonnen, who's, yeah, who's, Fade, Fade, Fade. who's kind of a, a, a parallel to Paul. Mick Jagger was going to play him yeah. in, in the Jodorowsky version. And one of my favorites, if it had happened, was Orson Welles going to play uh, uh, the Baron Harkonnen. I can't see, I cannot see, I can't picture Orson floating around. I, I just don't see Orson giving into that, even as much as he was bribed. If it would have happened, it could have been amazing. And why is that character flying around anyway? He's so, again, this is one of the things in the book. I, I've, read the, I've read the explanation, I'm not remembering. But I think it's that he's so heavy. But they give, a, they give an explanation of the book. I, I love how they just like, we just take but it. That's for great granted. world building. You just let the detail happen. Oh no, 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 no. As long as it's not confusing, you just roll with it. Right. Uh, so yeah. Can we can we roll into the David Lynch version? Because the David Lynch yeah. version, I've now after I read the book over the summer, I was like, maybe I'll finally get it. Because my first, what was your first David Lynch viewing? First off, let's get that out of the way. The first time I saw it in Dune. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's uh, it's 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 the eighties, and all these things are coming out left and right. All these science fiction fantasy films. And uh, uh, it Virginia Manson said, I think was the first one originated this phrase that it was supposed to be the Star Wars for adults. Uh, well, yeah, probably. And uh, I, was it sold to you that because because there's to- obviously too young, but there would have been toys around there. I don't know where uh, chronologically I saw a racer head. I knew about a racer head, but of course it didn't play in Evansville. And I had to go. I don't know if I went out of town for it once, but we finally saw it on VHS too. You know, I first saw Razorhead. I, it was when I moved out to the south side of town and went to Bookbroker because you were the only place in town that had ah. Razorhead. You're the store, the video store you worked at. Yeah, probably, I was probably making sure we had it too. Maybe okay. no. So Elephant Men played Theater A, the one of the art house type theaters here in Evansville at the time, and I loved Door to Elephant Man. I thought it was great, and I was at this time I was becoming a big cinephile. And so I was reading American film and, you know, every time I get my hands on variety. So I was following Lynch and his career and he was, you know, everybody, all the critics were just, you know, falling over their, uh, each other, praising him. So I thought, oh, well, this bodes well, this bodes well, you know. And, uh, and so I, you know, uh, I went and saw a big cast. They had the handout 
Uh, this is a they they actually had a handout of glossary terms, which opens the book too. Uh, there's, right, there's a glossary terms, and they the book. actually give you. I'm there opening weekend, and I think I walked out of it thinking, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't come out going, oh, that's a piece of crap. I and I did, but I didn't come out. I don't think I came out thinking I want to see it again because I think I only saw it once. I think, mm. uh, and that's exciting because that, in that time period. In your twenties and the eighties, you you went multiple times to movie. It was Star Wars, and of course, you were, that. And you just weren't. I just, yeah, I don't think I. Uh, uh, but I, uh, we knew there were Lynch. We knew the Lynch moments. they were the very Lynchian moments in the film. Speaking of of uh, becoming a big film fanatic. Um, one of the first places I ever, when you, you come across Roger Ebert or Siskel and Ebert was he, Dune was a punching bag for him forever. He like, I think his review opens that it's like, it takes eight minutes to realize this movie's a mess. And so like Dune, I didn't finally get around to watching it until high school. And Is it a mess? Is it really a mess? Do you think, do you think it's a mess? Let's get into that. <laughs> Ted, let's get to that. Um, so when I finally watched it, uh, it's the scenario I was telling you earlier where uh, someone who read the book loved the book, got a bunch of us together to watch it. And, uh, and we're in high school, probably junior, senior year. Which would have been what year? Uh, 98, 99. Were you uh, much of a cinephile then? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd seen, uh, I hadn't seen Eraserhead, but I'd seen Blue Velvet. I'd seen Ara- uh, Elephant Man. I'd probably even seen Wild at Heart by this point. Um, I've made, and I'd seen uh, Lost Highway. And, uh, but a, a, a person that loved the book was selling us on this and trying to tell us his interpretation of the book. And the first thing that is apparent to me about my rewatch of this, I think applies all of it, is that I think for a big book, like the beginning of it is a little better than like, like the last hour where it takes its time adapting the setup. It takes a little more time there, but then when it has to like run, it reminded me a lot of Zack Snyder's Watchmen where like Zack Snyder's Watchmen is about two and a, the theatrical version is like two and a half hours, maybe a little longer. And for the first 90 minutes, it gives like 30 minutes per issue. Like the first 90 minutes only covers the first three issues. And then the last hour does the yeah. next nine. Right. This does that where the end. Oh yeah. You feel rushed. Yeah. I even mean, with the Villeneuve version, I'm excited about this new one because I've never seen the second half of the book adapted well into a way that's even the book itself. I'm, I'm kind of like, Oh, well, another thing happens. Another thing happens, and I I need someone that loves this and can dramatically shape this. And in my rewatches, from a world building standpoint, David Lynch is is a savant filmmaker. He one of the things that's great about him is like even more than Jodorowsky. Jodorowsky is a great visualist, and he comes up with surrealist images and throws them at you. But David Lynch lets cinema unfold. This is the man that does sound design better than anyone else. And like you just paintings are still in time, not just random images. And the Dune, his Dune has so much unnecessary fucking explanation. One of the, and like one of the crazier things that he keeps from the book is that internal monologues are a big part of the book. And Villeneuve adapts them in like a normal screenwriter would, where it's like, I need to show this visually. Lynch tries this and like, it's an admirable attempt, but like he keeps having people talk back and forth with voiceover. Was that done? Was that, was that original decision? Do we know for a fact or was that? I think the way it's shot, it seems apparent. Hmm. I think. And 
the other like David Lynch is just not from a dramaturgic standpoint, he's never necessarily been someone that's like, I need the story to unfold in a logical way to understand what happens next. Everything that's amazing about it just happens in a dreamlike way where you maybe don't accept why it happens, but you flow with it. And like, cause like all the, the best drama that he's done is parts of Blue Velvet, maybe some parts of Twin Peaks, uh, obviously Elephant Man work, but the rest of it is just more like what is happening I'm going along with it. Right, right. Well, yeah, history showed us that Lynch is not in his, uh, 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 he, he's obviously a reality-based type filmmaker. Well, I forgot. It, I, I know. So Wild at Heart's based off a book, um, but um, is Straight Story based off a book? Oh, I forgot about Straight Story. Yeah, yeah, it's based on a real event. I, don't I know it's a real event. Yeah, I know it's a story. But yeah, but even then, it's so funny. Eraser, uh, Elephant Man and Straight Story, probably the most straightforward films of his well but you but they have a there he sneaks in little moments the problem with dune is it comes apparent especially because we've talked about how much lynch won't talk about this anymore he's just he's just chalked this up and like he and he kind of and when he does he kind of like backhandedly says i think i was selling out but you go into like in his biography uh i was reading what he said about it then what's crazy is he says that he didn't really realize that the movie wasn't working until he got to editing he was shooting and he was fine with it. And he had a great time shooting. And but he just disingenuously says, I was selling out. I wanted, it went for the money. I wanted to make my own Star Wars. You know, and speaking of that, he was offered, wasn't he offered? Return the, of the Jedi. Which is crazy to think I don't about. know how that would have worked. And uh, it, well, it, but I mean, we, one, of the, one of the things that does not work about the movie is the special effects, which he, a few of the people working said that he, there's parts where he's like, I need this not to look like Star Wars. And there's special effects. There's a weird space sequence shot in Elephant Man where like there's a star field in there and like some of these effects look amazing the designs in, Do- in david lynch's dunes all across the board are amazing but some of the special effects look very very at least just not at the time what, what where everyone was at with optical printing john dykstra was originally supposed to do the effects and he got knocked off they look cheap at spots they look like they kind of like a uh, paperback with like different icons moving around paperback covers sci-fi paperback covers so go back to the school uh, presentation that you saw what was your reaction then we made fun of it made fun of it. all of us jumped on it and what, what in particular Tell uh, me, you know of course, the, the moment when he uh, paul rides the worm at the end everyone burst laughing I, I don't know what you understand this is the late 90s yeah yeah oh no I understand I mean and I think it's I think it's easy uh I think it's I think it's an easy uh shot to dump on this film um and I think I, I don't know I I and that's where I was going to bring up um the uh these films that have come back and get rehabilitated or get a different perspective or different every view in a dune has been better since because you you we talked about this on our keep episode there's flawed films that once you accept that they're flawed you can appreciate them well and and so i was making a little list of like okay like some of the big ones along with dune or ishtar well ishtar is just fun i i I agree time my first heaven's gate it's an it's down criterion. We know? have an episode right. on the cuts of Heaven Gate, and I think you can ex- take from that episode. And I love that movie wholeheartedly. Legend, Ridley Scott's Legend. I I've only seen Legend the one time. There's multiple. You know, there's yeah. I've only seen the, I've only seen the director's cut uh, too. Different music, a whole different. Story. Yeah, it's, I've seen the Jerry Goldsmith. Score. And then and then those are still debatable. Those that li- that's and I can make a bigger list. And then there's another list where I think I love uh, the Blade Runner, which is now considered, you know. 
uh, and this is more with the box office more so than okay. And then uh, Buck Rabanzai, I would, I would, I, would oh, okay. I know some people would debate that maybe. And then I have uh, Peck and Paul's always gets in trouble with this, and uh, Pat Garrett, Billy the Kid. What, and, what's what's your thinking on this? And Major like, Dundee, they were flawed uh, because he was he was his own worst enemy. We looked at these films now. We 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 know what they could have been and what they should have been. And we we watch them over and over again that, more so than a like a, a a flawless film, you know. That's your. Are you saying that these are there's a there's film history is littered with movies that were taken away from people that right. were, that well, were better than you remembered. But the those are that's your main list on that. Well, there, I mean, no, there's more. I mean, yeah, but I'm just thinking, I'm trying to think of just current times. And I'm trying. I mean, we got you. You can go back to greed. And, There's almost and a, Magnificent Ambersons. I mean, yeah, that's but, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But I'm just no. But or even in but, the but, smaller but, versions, just with B movies. But we watch Magnificent Ambersons over and over again, knowing it could have. It, it's a masterpiece. I'm so I'm just, and I'm not saying David Lynch's Dune is a masterpiece, but I'm saying, and I think I, I think it plays better and works better now. Yeah. With the forgiveness and and retrospect. And what he was trying to tackle, and how young he was, and still he's working with Laurentis. So, and, uh, well, let's get to uh, for the first time, you and I both watched the long versions, and a lot of Dune fanatics tried to say that this has become a recurring thing of, of big adaptations of uh, the supposedly unfilmable books that um, they just didn't get all the details in. So people have tried to put together longer cuts, which David Lynch took his name off of, had an Alan Smithy cut. You watch an Alan Smithy cut. I watched this one online called The Alternate Version of Redux that you can find on YouTube. Did, what, did, was that better? Uh, Mine wasn't. No. Did you start out with the, the artwork, narration with artwork? No, but you notice the artwork comes in. Uh, I, I did watch that sequence just so I was familiar with that. that the artwork comes in and randomly during the movie where Paul is like looking at different stuff. But that, that's got to be a, I, the sequence I watched was forever. It was embarrassing because it was like weird because it was like the production, pre-production artwork. Right. They were just grabbing that to get you uh, to spell it all out. And I don't, I don't know what was wrong with Virginia Madsen opening up in the theatrical version. Well, the, cra- the crazy thing about Virginia Madsen opening up is that that weird little detail is from the book. Like each, uh, each chapter in the book is from, she plays Princess Erlen. And is, she, is she, does she factor in the, the book? Does she factor in as much as the miniseries has her in? No, the miniseries, like, I, I don't think she's, that has an addition in the, the miniseries. I don't, remember this in the She's book. She's got a very vital part of the miniseries, you know. Well, what happens is the book makes a point, especially because there's so many additional books, which I haven't read and I want to read some of them. Uh, Villeneuve is saying he's going to uh, adapt Messiah, which is the second, but Children of Dune, a lot of people like the trilogy. Herbert, I think, did five or six total and he died and then his son, Brian Herbert, took him over. But um, The Princess is... W- w- the, the Alan Smithy cut, did it at least explain why she's at the end? Because no. the version I watched did put it where you bring the scene. Paul, well, Paul, you know, how, okay, going through all the story versions of Dune and talking about the Duke and Lady Jessica, in any version, you do realize that Jessica and Duke were not married, right? Right. right. You did pick up on that. Oh, yeah. It's very, well, they, 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 sometimes they actually tell you right out, I should have married him, you know, I should have. Uh, the Villeneuve does, yeah, version yeah. does that. Do you, yeah, did you, version does did you ever pick up on why that is? Uh, because of, they were holding out in case he had to do a political marriage. Paul marries uh, Princess Ariana. Yes, right. I okay. Wish, that was, 
that's indicated somewhere. Well, all the I think it's up. in the sci-fi version. Yeah, the the, the TV miniseries. You know, the, the, the speaking of which. Well, anyway, uh, anyway, real quickly, in the future, she pre- pretends that she's a writer, and so she, uh, the op- every chapter opens with uh, excerpts from her book explaining what happened. Mm-hmm. Well, but going back, you made fun of it in the, in the grade school viewing. Mm-hmm. That when it was the next time you visited, do you remember? Or it, I know it probably have you. That's probably I. It was probably some like area where I was still like really on a wave of a, of a few good David Lynch screenings in a row. And I was like, this man's a cinematic master. It, it I missed something. And I re- went back to it and I was like, I think it's just an unfortunate circumstance. Yeah, well, it, or, it, was a, it was a situation where it wasn't it laughable anymore. You didn't laugh at it anymore. Or... One of the things that really, it really comes most in, it's a little on Twin Peaks, mostly Mulholland Drive is that there's a, people call it kitsch, but like half of David Lynch's appeal is showing artifice. And like, so like, there's just like soap opera, really fake acting that's going on. And then like, he then goes deep underneath the surface of that, that just, that seems more real and disturbing because of it. It's, it's almost like that, uh, Montana, uh, affectation. Well, this just doesn't work in science fiction where you're trying, you have to like ground it and make it feel real where there's, there's artifice all around it. Kyle McLaughlin is great in everything, but he's, as Paul, just, uh, yeah, people say that there's a lot of there's a lot of flack on that about him being stiff, and, uh, and he's clearly a great actor and he's done great performances in David Lynch film work. I, I you know I, I think he's I think he's fine. I mean uh, for my for my money, but uh, well you know another character that I think I'm curious of, uh, and the since you read the book is Paul's sister. I I want to see more of her. Is there it was her scenes cut out or that was all they shot? That is her? one of those things that they rush so much because and like I've never the, the, uh, I, mean, the, one, I think in one version of one of the films we watched they, you don't, they don't we don't even see them interact with each other. It seems like I'm like in the David Lynch one, uh, but even though he does talk to her about like okay go to do this you know when they attack, uh, and there's that it, it's there's a big, that, it's a big part of the book and supposedly from what I understand it's in the in the sequel books. It's a crazy. Fun. I love that. It's, it's a, so crazy. It's, it's a crazy, Alicia Witt in the David yeah, Lynch version. It's Alicia Witt, very young, and it's crazy to see her that one shot in slow motion where it looks like she's killed people and she's looking up and and and, and on the on the on the battle landscape. I know which one shot you're talking about? And uh, I'm like. Man, I I wanted to see more of uh, if anything I I, uh, I wanted to see more interaction between how they interact with each other, the chemistry between the brother and sister, and the and them their their machinations and uh, that that that's where is I it in the book? Is it, but it is oh, in the book. there's so much more in the book, yeah. and there and there's so much explanation, and I'm pretty sure Villeneuve is going to let that play out. Cool. And it's because it, but at the same time, it's weird. Oh well, yeah, I can imagine because because she's got the water of life in her. When she was, you know, when she was, she was the, in the metaphor, womb. The metaphor I use about world building and over explaining stuff is, is a certain amount of elegance in how you do it. But whenever you do something like that, it's almost like you have to treat your world building like an iceberg where, uh, you know, 2% of it's above the surface, but 98% of it's beneath. I think now, you know, it's, it's all just jumbled in my mind because I've watched so much now. I, uh, I feel you, bud. But uh, I, I, if I can... I think I want to say that what Denis got right was you don't get lost. I didn't get lost this time. I don't, or I didn't feel like we were jumping to something that I'd like, what? Whereas like, you know, in the, in the TV miniseries, in the Lynch version and, and you felt this way in the miniseries. Cause we're going to start going, moving on to well, the, yeah, the, the miniseries. There's even, there's some points where I was like, what? Okay. Uh, sure. You know, and, and, and that's always a problem with me. 
And you, you know what? I've only had one really long conversation with someone who's a fan of the book since watching the Villeneuve version. We just, we named like two or three. There's a big scene um, that wasn't there that is in the, the, uh, the scene where he, uh, Paul meets the princess at the uh, diplomatic dinner. Right, right, right. That, that's a big scene in the book. That's not, Villeneuve pushed that. There's like a few little details here and there, but he didn't really miss out on much. No, and then uh, what about um, uh, going back to Jaworski? I think I think it might have just really been another Holy Mountain type thing. Whereas this is so weird because I was looking at those. You look at the you get to see the Mobius designs of outfits. And they're just way over the top. Yep. And I, I thought the uh, color on them, especially. color and the over the top. And he changed the ending. He just he just flat out and said, "I you know I totally changed the ending." I, so, I, I this came up in the appendices. The it's the same ending that's going to eventually happen, I guess, in the books. But it's like a, a three five three to five hundred years off. Really, I wonder if Jodorowsky actually. This comes to another question I had about the Jodorowsky version. Is like, uh, what the fuck did Frank Herbert think of this? Like, is yeah. Frank Frank Herbert was a fan of the Lynch version of the Finn Lynch Dune. Was he? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. He didn't like it before he died. I, I mean, it's not, like I said, I but think. At it, the end of the documentary, Jordan even says, uh, I am raping Frank Herbert. <laughs> with love. I know. Very. Uh, yeah. It, it, I, I don't, can you use the word rape anymore uh, in, in any kind of context? Apparently can. Uh, but he did in this movie, the documentary. But yeah, I just I, I think um, the Lynch movie gets a bad ra- way over. I, I do. I can't leave it without having said the positives that I had for the David Lynch sure. version. Well, it's one. It's shot by Freddie Francis, and like he's uh, it, supposedly one of the worry. Some of the actors said that Laurentis was worried about how it looked on VHS, so they made it overlighted. But there's some interesting looking stuff. There's half of the casting is amazing in it. Um, the sandworms, even though I made fun of that one moment. For the most part, the sandworms work amazing in it. Um, Anthony Masters production design, uh, but one of my favorite things that I bet I have loved every single time is um, not only Toto's score into it, but you, you didn't like Toto's score. I really like it. It's it's kind of bomb- really it's kind of okay. like a but then the Brian Eno prophecy theme. Oh no, I'm totally into it. It because it, it's it's like Brian Eno doing a Star Wars. It's right, like, but the the. Do, do I, your John Williams. It was a little bit repetitive. Oh, it's very repetitive. And, and I think that's where they kind of were not like well versed on soundtrack uh, scoring. But you know what I really loved? What in the extended cut, the little folk song that Patrick Stewart sings. You get is that in your version you saw? No, because that, that 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 is one little tiny thing that character plays. It's, it's wonderful. It, it's in the book that character plays uh, a kind of lyric lyric yeah, guitar. The, the miniseries I think is terrible. Uh, that when he does the folk song, I don't remember. It, it looks so fakey, but in the uh, it's a it's a cool little tune. I'm like, gosh, I wish is that on the soundtrack? I want that tune. Uh, and the extended for uh, extended cut. Patrick Stewart with a mullet. Yeah, and uh, again, that's some, some really good casting in there. Yeah, well, yeah, well, foreshadowing Paul uh, Stewart's career because uh, we didn't know who he was at the time. He was just an English actor. He was nobody uh, when he did the Dune. Right. Uh, Paul Smith, who played Bluto and Popeye, he was the he was the the, the crazy nephew mm-hmm. over. Uh, Rebel, mm-hmm. um, I like that. There's like, there, I I thought it was a little bit too much of the ha. There, there's a lot of that with Harkonnen like, oh, in every Carl, version. Paul, come on, come. In every, version. but I like, but he did a little couple of things. I like when he after he walks by that cow, they're cutting that 
trimming that cow and he knocks one of the little little people over just just randomly i don't know there's little things like that one Um, one of the things the villanue version has dropped that uh is in every other version is there's a real implication the harkonnens are big uh homosexual pedophiles mm. yeah and then uh, what about (laughs) this i i didn't think about it the first time i watched the theatrical cut when i watched it again uh it really struck me i love when uh uh mel um jose ferrara who's the emperor he, they, they, they uh, the, the big battle at the end. They get like this carousel thing, and they're like, it's like, like, dude, I always want to hear carousel music playing. They're, they're <laughs> just rolling around, shooting things on this carousel. It's almost, it almost like, a, it's like, almost like a, 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 a metaphor of how silly war can be. Is, you know, these, they, that, that's true. well, there's the Hewa thing where, where his antidote, where it's the cat, cat getting milked. Oh, that yeah. is uh, there's so many weird. And you have you know the great 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 Freddie Jones as the, uh, the 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 characters that have the bad lips because they're 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 because uh, Brad DeWarf is, is oh right right yeah yeah they both they they're both they're, I guess what they are what the human computers are in, yeah yeah that's that was Hugh, Hugh At was the right. Trades version of that and Freddie Jones is he, he's always fun to watch he heats up the scenery and Brad DeWarf is always fun to watch and then what about uh oh Jack Nance. And then you got the you got the uh, David Lynch uh, stock company, the, the, the stock Dean company. Stockwell is playing you. Uh... You got Dean Stockwell. You got Jack Nance, Racerhead himself, in his, uh, nice little parts. And then uh, and Everett McGill is uh, he's the, uh, the, uh, the the leader of the Freeman. The, Stillguard? Yeah, Stillguard in the, the Lynch movie. That's that, he's in Twin Peaks. Remember? Mm-hmm. He, he's married to the girl with the eye, woman with the blind eyes. No, okay, now I can picture it. Yeah, Everett McGill. Yeah. Um, Kenneth McKellen is the Baron. I, I thought uh, Kenneth McKellen did a great job, and that's the really gross Lynchian, almost Cronenberg type stuff with the, the, the stuff on his face. And it, I like his acting choices, whereas I thought the actor, who I like the actor playing him in the miniseries, I, it didn't work as well. I don't think he worked as well as uh, McKellen did in the, in the Lynch movie. Hard, you know what's funny? Thing? Villeneuve said that his version of Hart Conan was just like, we have to tone it down to, or make yeah. it a little more nuanced. And it's very atmospheric and very The Scars Guard, perfect casting on that. But at the same time, it's still, it's still what? You didn't, big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, and... Oh, we got Sean Young. This is before she, uh, she fell off the, the cliff. Shawnee in this... Is unfortunate. It's just it's it's such a it's it's such a nothing role. Like Sean Young, like like really got some big breaks that turned out to be kind of nothing burgers in the early eighties. Feels like. Oh, and then we uh, we he can't disappear in the movie, but uh, the guy attending the Baron is an actor named Leonardo Cinema uh, Chimino. Uh, uh, there's an actor called uh, Leonardo Cimino. He's very, if you know, if, you, if you're if you a fan of European films and exploitation films, you'll recognize his face. And, and he's, again, great casting across the board uh, between the one, because uh, he had Max von Sydow show up. And that gives Max von Sydow is uh, um, um, Kenyi's, uh, I think that was a character in the book, is is, is gender flip in the Villeneuve version. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on to the sci-fi version, which I think we can get through pretty fast because even though it was a good um, four and a half hours of viewing, not, it, it didn't make an impression on us. Uh, it, it is a great such attempt. a strange thing. It's it was a- in the, when it came out in two thousand. It was supposed to be for everyone who said like you just need to know more of the book, and it's more straight. It's directed, written, and directed by John Harrison, who was a Romero's first date, George Romero's first AD, and did the scores for Creepshow and Day of the Dead. 
one of the most unfortunate things about the whole thing is is that uh, it's there's a lot of it, it, just the money. It really ha- it has that uh, um, late '90s sci-fi thing where like just money wasn't thrown to it, and they were really trying to stretch it. And especially when you watch it on DVD, uh, Joss Whedon's Firefly falls in the same thing where like before they upresed HD, the special effects were done in SD, so they look less version. So it looks like you're watching. I don't know, like some 90s window animation or something. What about, uh, of course, I, want, I know you want to talk about Sotaro. He got an Emmy. He actually gets He did get an Emmy. Vittorio Storaro, the man who shot Apocalypse Now, Reds, uh, The Conformist, so much Vertolucci movies, one of the greatest cinematographers of all time. Greatest cinematographers of all time. And the, he, he, I, I've never heard the official reason, but he, he, he it's, it feels like he semi-retired and then didn't. And he was a big fan of the book, and so he did this. Do you? And, and the, he's since done some Woody Allen stuff as his main work. One of the extras on the DVD of the TV miniseries is this long, huge essay written by him, and it's like over my head about his whole vision cinematically of what he's doing. Or what something. does he say? I know it's over my head. It's it's, it's, it's You don't it, remember any details? No, I, I cannot. I, I gave up. I was like, I read the first two programs. I'm like. One oh, of, one this of, is going to be. This one, is, he's talking. He's talking. It's like a. I don't know. He's just talking in the out. out. Storaro's big tricks. One of his big go tos is that he would pick a primary color for every scene, and uh, mainly a primary color. But, yeah, he, but every scene has a very significant. Not, color. Well, not but, every scene. I, 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 but no, no, I'm saying throughout it, his career. That's what oh I'm yeah, yeah, saying. yeah. And this one, it starts out. I'm like, oh, this is just kind of TV. And all of a sudden. We're getting these scenes in orange and very blue and very. I'm like, oh, okay. Also, did you notice that? I, I, you need to correct me if I'm wrong because I have not seen uh, the Mandalorian. But wasn't the whole point of the Mandalorian was they came up with that uh, way to shoot backgrounds and shoot scenes, uh, the, the state of the art effects, the backdrops in this sci-fi cha- sci-fi channel version of Dune are so apparent and so. That's that's that was a that was part of the plan. Uh, not, uh, they go, they go about, uh, they go on about in the future, and how Satario would come up with this. Uh, it could print up these big giant backdrops. It's not and, the same thing. Backdrops are were the backdrops moving? No, I'm just saying. Isn't this like almost like the? I want to say, like I said again, then you correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm thinking this is like the 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 original foundation of what the Mandalorian gets to. No, no, because they, they're using what are they using that? Are they shooting like, um, they're not shooting green screen in Mandalorian? In Mandalorian, what they're doing is they're taking video game 3D image, image, um, engines that make up a full 3D uh, background right. that is, 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 is the resed up to the level that a video game would be at. And then um, they're making that your back screen. And with the ca- it's then coordinated with the camera where, say, if there's a camera movement, then the screen will move along with it. And typically what that is doing is, say, if you're shooting some shallow focus, then it just looks accurate. But more than anything, it just naturally bounces light off everyone. You're not having two planes that you're superimposing onto each other. And you don't have to go out in the desert to do this. You can just do it in the studio. It's not it's not 100% perfect, but, I mean, Villeneuve obviously went to the uh, Jordan to shoot a lot of his stuff. But This is what they were doing in the TV miniseries. They were trying to avoid... The sandstorms and the delays and the cost of uh, they just opposed, don't have they just don't have the money to do anything right else. no but but he thought they thought they were like if you watch watch the feature watch the feature in on the on the disc they, they thought they nailed they, it they thought they thought they were coming up with a, a, a cool visual look and well, I think, some of some of Lynch's version is shot in a studio yeah but I mean, I'm saying they, I think there was you're supposed to kind of like accept this weird version vision even though it looks so fakey 
it, it, it was done on purpose. Backdro- uh, backdrops are a stage yeah. uh, affectation, and they're as old as the silence. Well, it, it, trust me. I mean, I'm, I'm, they, not, they, they, I'm not. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to fool. Uh, it did not work. I'm not saying that whether it worked or not. I'm just trying to think. It was a new technique that I think Victoria thought he was onto something. The way he talks about it. Well, I think if I'm if I'm being harsh on it for saying it doesn't work, I think it's just because it was apparent and it bombed. Yeah. So I I I've a I mean I I had notes on the wonky sets. Yeah. No. And, the, it, and I, I don't, don't I don't fault it just because it's a sci-fi channel budget from the late does. And I noticed it. 90s. You know. Yeah. It's very noticeable. And then like I said, they're, it, it they're was coming out stuff like you know like Farscape. You know. Yeah, but they were. Uh, but it was like it was like they were under this impression they were trying to pull off something new, a cutting edge. I think one the, one big observation I had about this, uh, it really came up when the Desert Mouse came up, was that. I will be more forgiving of analog, optical, optically printed effects with even with the sandworm. Well, actually, not the sandworm, but these other stuff, the ships in David Lynch's version than I am with this, just because we're still with CGI and we know what bad CGI looks like. But my point was, I think the the sandworm in the miniseries still looked better than the David Lynch in action whenever they finally jumped on the, the sandworm. Yeah. Um, okay. One one big storyline that has is not in the Villeneuve version that um, is played up. It, it's in the Lynch version, but it's really played up in this one. Is um, there's a build up to like who the traitor is when it turns out to it's revealed that it's uh, Doctor Yua, but like um, Jessica is thought to be the traitor. Hmm. I mean that's that's in the sci-fi thing because um, uh, Gurney Hallback I think it, like was told that it's Jessica, and then when he sees her later. He comes after her because well, I, I don't remember him being told. I just I just remember the scene where he attacks her in the book. That. In the book, he's he, he's told it. Yeah, so maybe. But no, uh, I if, speaking of Jessica, I think uh, interesting enough. I think for something for all three have in common, they all they all got great actresses for all three Jessicas. That's true. I, 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 I like the it. Jessica on the TV series. Well, Jessica's just a great character. Yeah, and and, and, and at the same time, like uh, one of the things that I think really is exciting me about the build new version is. When they took the traitor part out, it was more of a momentum because they're going to play up exactly. There's more to come. I, I don't think any of the versions actually gotten out. There's, and I always forget about this when I got to the end of the book. There was a big reveal at the end of the book that I don't think has been in any of the versions. Oh, you're talking about uh, the Baron and Jessica? No, it's in one. It's in, oh, it is in it, the sci-fi one? It's in the TV yeah, series. I think Villeneuve's going to make a meal out of that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's what he's been building towards. Because, I mean, this, the, the, it's, I think it's the second to the last shot of Dune Part 1 is this kind of intimidating shot of Jessica, of Rebecca Ferguson walking behind everybody. I still don't get, you know, we. I think the memory to ask you, the one thing about when they take uh, Jessica and Paul and they're going to dump them in the desert, uh, they are, are they are able to get Freeman suits and, and compass and all this other equipment. Because Dr. Yu drops the stuff off. Right. In, but in, I, in many, multiple versions, you see the diamond in there. In fact, in the David Lynch version, there's a point where, like, uh, there's uh, Jessica has voiceover says, that diamond is Dr. Yui. Yeah. Speaking of explaining something way too much. But I don't, how did Yui know what ship they would take? That's, you know, I, it's, that's a really kind of dicey uh, coincidence that he, Dr. Yui, like, it, I, I don't know if it's one of those things that's like more detailed in the book. Or maybe it's in the book, maybe, hopefully, because. No, 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 no. The, 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 the logistics is not, I don't think. But the fact is that he really was. He was betraying uh, the the Duke because, you know, his wife, but he really didn't want to betray them, and he wanted Paul, Paul and Jessica to survive. Well, you get the indication that he, you know, because he goes on a great detail, look, I know the Baron's going to get in your face, so you're going to be able to bite version. down this tooth and poison. So he knew that, 
So I would hope, I guess he knew what they were going to do with Jessica and Paul, but he had to really know that, to know that he had to put place this stuff in the ship, the ring and the suits and all the equipment he needed. I mean, how did he know exactly which, uh, you know, that they would do this? I think he was, still, he was still loyal to Atreides, even though he betrayed them. Yeah. There was, there's more about, apparently, the, the, the clan of doctors he comes from. Maybe it's just the, maybe it's just the, 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 the timing of the movies and the way it's edited. Maybe because he was not killed all right off right away because he has to face the Baron before the Baron kills him. So maybe he's like seen Jessica Paul off on the ship or so, or something. I don't know. Maybe there's again time. There's a, you know that's another thing that's interesting. There's a lot of time that goes on. You know, they're on uh, when they get the Dune, the uh, the Duke and his family. Mm-hmm. I th- don't you? It's like it takes two or three years. When they're on there, right? I mean, it doesn't. You know, when you're watching the movie, you how think, time is like? Yeah, you, you're thinking, oh, this happens. Bang, 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 bang. It all happens. All you know, like no. You know they're they gotta get they gotta get their you know, they're getting uh, their housemaids in order. They gotta move yeah. in. They gotta take the city over. They're finding things that the Harkins left over. I, I think trips. it gets it gets more explicitly played out actually where the Villeneuve version leaves. Where after I get a sense of there's a better sense of time in the the, the Villeneuve version than I think in the other ones. One little tiny thing I did really like about the miniseries that I hope Villeneuve kind of takes on is this feeling. Every episode ends with the saga's dune is far from over, <laughs> and it's feeling that it is because it's it goes on forever. Well, what about the but the fact that Denise I thought opens up before the Warner Brothers symbol comes up? He actually gives us a little that that blew both. Blew that was, both. Oh, oh oh I got a detail. Uh, so a friend of our or, uh, I saw a friend that watched a press screening of it said that that was originally Benny Gesserit women saying it. Ooh, and then when they came to that, I'm pretty sure it's the Sadakar. It was the Emperor's. Um, army because there's that scene before the Sardaukar uh, um, attack the planet where they you see their army trying to get their stuff and there's this like pan, panel where this person kind of dictating where the uh, soldiers go and he's speaking in this kind of like that's the sound that happens in the from the dreams dreams are messages from the deep or whatever the opening line is right uh, I, but you know I always sometimes you know the beginning of a film, there's something that the director does or a choice they make that makes me think I'm in for a really good movie. And that was it. Just the little thing like that, you know, what they, they take time or their title credits or whatever. It just makes me think, um, I love that. Uh, I, I remember, you know, the last Mohicans with the kind of the Rocky opening where the, the date goes by. And then we open up in the mountains. I knew that Michael Mann was wearing good hands. What about, um, uh, the end of the Lynch movie, I don't. I'd love. I just. I love a cast call, and they. Should, <laughs> I, I. I love yeah. when, uh, when you, they show you the the, the actor, music over the water. They, and they show you the actor, and they tell you the, the the actor's name and the and the character they played, and they both versions had that in there. I really like that. Uh, well, you mentioned um, um, Paul's sister. Uh, that that's kind of played out a little more in the Sci Fi Channel version. A little bit more, yeah. But yeah, they, have a, still, they, have a, they have a little girl with a British accent. Yeah, and then I was really, I was shocked that uh, it was confusing too that the uh, Paul has a son and he gets killed. Yeah, because I thought it was, I thought it was the other kid. Uh, there was another kid. There was a sequence with a young kid, and I thought there was that kid of another mother. 
And if no, is it was I guess it was the babysitter and the and the kid. That's an example in the David Lynch version of where like they are going through so much. So like that's one of those things. Yeah, like, just, and David, to be fair, there's some stuff. There's some points, especially like when they get into the desert. There's like a little bit of ping ponging that it gets rid of. It just gets them to the desert, then it gets them to the uh, oh it, it, yeah, it goes into fifth gear. But at the end, at the last half hour of the Lynch movie, it just it's geared to the end, you know. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was hilarious. How I still, many, I still want to see Children of Dune too. I think how I'm many outfits does the Emperor have? It was ridiculous. It was like, you know, uh, yeah, okay, one or two different outfits, but it was like his dress outfits were just over and over, and they were getting sillier and kind of wonky. Um, so I thought that was kind of a kind of wonky. What? Have, oh, speaking of the, the other the, the follow up miniseries, mm-hmm. you know who the main character in there is? Uh, McAvoy. I knew that, and Susan yeah. Sarandon's in yeah, it too. Right. I don't so, know who I don't know who they play. I didn't think uh, Alec was that. I thought his uh, I don't know if the director, the writer, screenplay, Harrison's uh, choice of he came across a little bit pissier than uh, he didn't. I, a little I, little Luke Skywalkery to you? No, no. I'm talking about everyone saying Luke's pissy in the first two. Well, more just kind of no more arrogant, more kind of I, I didn't I really wouldn't I didn't I didn't really want to hang with him. The thing is Timothy. You know, I thought brought a lot of nuance to it. Yeah. Uh, oh no, Timothy yeah. Chalamet is by Even far though, the best version of Paul. But the the, the the best thing that like is just a great casting point with Paul uh, Timothy Chalamet as Paul is that you get a sense that he's going to age. He looks like a little kid, but he just looks like a very aristocratic yeah. kid. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I'm I'm trying to picture him as a hard case warrior, though. It's going to be interesting to see if he pulls that off. I uh, give I, I I'll give them benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah, I think no, I, yeah. I think they're going to pull it off. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. I think we've gotten through the sci-fi channel, so we can just talk about how great this new version is. Yeah, you know, it's I, I, I uh, number one of the year, maybe I don't know. Right I, now, it's mine. Uh, well, and, you, I, you... and I, I, I am not even sure how I feel about the ending, like because the big issue I had whenever Villeneuve said there's an obvious point to to end the book. We we had this conversation with your friend Dwayne Todd, uh, and he picked it. He knew exactly where the movie ended. I still never saw it. Like this is how you end the movie. It's it it. it is that an Empire Strikes Back thing where it's like the battle happens at the, the beginning, but like the it ends on a quieter moment and a cliffhanger for what's going to come next? And I, you know, I know I, you know, we're buzzing on the social media. Uh, it's going to get green light, and it's going to, or he's going to finish. It's going to, we haven't even mentioned that yet, but it's official. It's the Dune Part Two is coming. And but I didn't, I didn't know that that it, it was not complete. I mean, the story-wise, going Even into when, it. A lot of people seem to have, like, when the opening title card comes up and it says part one, is, there, is where people learn about it. Well, yeah, that's because it was for me. I was like, oh, okay. And then I thought the ending was wonderful. I I, I, I thought it was a great point. The way he, uh, I was, I mean, if they, we never got any more movies, because I, I saw somebody grousing, like, oh, you know, uh, yeah, we'll, you know, they, they will make a point, like, they were, they were um, penalizing the movie because we're not going to get the finished story. And I thought, no, this is fine. You know, I, I know the story. I remember you, you said at the end of the movie, you were like, I would be fine if the story ended. This yeah. Time. If we don't get another one and, and Denise wants to move on to. I mean, obviously not something. fine, but you wouldn't have been heartbroken because no, yeah, yeah. you can tell like, I think, he, I think he, he did a, a wonderful the saga, job. The saga of doom is far from over. Yeah. So I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, and you know, just a shot of the, of them walking and then the, the, the uh, vision of a, somebody on top, on top of a sandworm. Just, it just, I think it, it felt right, and he, and he, and he shot it right, paced it right, and it, you know, left you, uh, 
I mean, I, I, that's that to me is almost my like my Lawrence of Arabia sequence in some way, weird way. I also thought I love Javier Bardem when he shows up. He's kind of like the Anthony Quinn from Lawrence of Arabia. We, uh, yeah, the, the, the lovable rogue that you love, you know, who's kind of rascal, you know, he's kind of a rascal. You know what I thought would have been your uh, Lawrence of Arabia moment? The moment that's like an intimate detail and a big epic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we need to talk about that. Uh, I thought. Well, I had to pick, but we'll go ahead. And tell, you well, I, I mean, I think I think I told you this. I I'd seen the trailer so many times, and we got I got a good friend, Todd, who he I, I uh, he, he always makes a point. He he closes his eyes and makes sure he doesn't watch the trailer, and he's got a good point. Because by this time, I was like, uh, there are two scenes. You in the wish trailer. you hadn't seen this in the. Well, just I seen it so much that it took away a little of the potency in the movie itself. But uh, when uh, the father and the son talk. And he goes, all I needed you was to be my son. Uh, that's a little moment that's so great. Mm-hmm. And uh, Oscar Isaac can't see much uh, how great he is in that. And then the, what was the other one? Duncan Idaho's. Oh, uh, you put him, put him with some muscle on? He goes, uh, uh, no, I, I can tell, or whatever he says, yeah. And that's, also, that's the little things. I, I did? No. Yeah, yeah no. Uh, Idaho, by the way, where does, where does that last name come from? It sticks out so funky. This goes into... I want to read more of the books, and, and this information isn't maybe in the book, but this idea that this is our, our world 10,000 years yeah. from now. Because in the appendices actually kind of explain what happens to religion to so like lead to the where we're at now. And and the whole narrative idea of the book is supposed to be that this is what happens when politics and religion come together. And Denise really plays that up a little bit because we get the whole uh, 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 bullfighting uh, symbolism. The, you mean that this is our world? We yeah, that we because the, the bull is the still, bull. I mean, yeah, you know the whole that seemed to be such our world mm-hmm. uh, item to be in this futuristic. This, world. This, one of the things I still haven't found an explanation for is why um, hereditary monarchy still exists. Uh, well, the, actually, there was um, in the Alan Smithy version. They tell you. There was this whole period where robots were in control. This is a big issue that it was completed. That was when I would talk to the friend about what we saw was missing. They, they banned artificial intelligence. That was a big detail. I was like, huh, no, no mention of it in there. So I think what happens is it almost it, it, it got much more futile, uh, uh, retroactively futile, once we got the robots out of the way. Uh, Some of this is covered in that appendix yeah. I read today, but it's more about the religious uh, part. Oh, I, I, speaking we, of Duncan Idaho, we ought to go back. I just, another shout out to Robert, uh, uh, what's his name? I wrote down uh, uh, Richard Jordan, an actor that every, if you, this is my more my time period, because uh, he was, I think he probably was dead. By you're the, talking about in Lynch version? Yeah, in Lynch version. He's the Duncan Idaho. He's the Duncan Idaho, and he was considered a wonderful actor. Anything he showed up in, he's one of those actors everybody loved when he showed up in films, and he, you know, he gets a short shot. I will, I will say that the, the, this, I mean, is it in the Sci-Fi Channel version, Duncan's uh, Last Stand? Isn't that, is that in the Sci-Fi Channel version? It's, if it is. This is the one that nails it so effectively. It's so good. It's it's maybe not Gandalf the Grey's death scene, but it's close. Denise one. Yeah, Denny's, yeah. Denny Villeneuve's version yeah, 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 of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of Duncan Idaho's Last Stand. And that's another weird thing about what exactly, they're not consistent with the fighting techniques. You know, they are the, the, what, the weirdly. The shield. And there, there, there's the shield. And then there's another one in one of the, I think the TV miniseries, they do this shift, like almost like a, a, a almost like a nightcrawler shift. And then there's also the sound effect where you use your you use the contraption and you do your voice to fight. That that's going to come in part two. Yeah, and, and that Lynch Lynch version is pretty. It has yeah, a scene. Yeah, and, and of course eventually it, it, it gets it gets to the point where Paul gets to the point where he doesn't need the contraption anymore. He can just do it 
and then there's a you know then then they got the voice which is a the 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 the, the women sect uh, the so there's Deseret. a yeah I, I'm just rambling here I so would much. Say the, the detail I thought you were going to say which is going to be the picture company in this episode is the desert mouse oh well the desert mouse it's it's going to pay off too the lynch doesn't use it at all the, uh, the desert mouse the TV it, series he pops up later. And then it gives you an explanation, a name for a thing. And then Denise is a little bit more vague, but it pumps up a bunch earlier. Yeah, but that's going to be a big payoff. Yeah, but it's right. the same one in the, in the Sci-Fi Channel. Only it's done. It's a big. It's done better dramatically. Yeah. I guess I don't. I want to end this from kind of talking about um, things they're looking forward to because one of the things that I think no version is able to gone to is what I know is supposed to happen in Doom Messiah, is that this is this. One of the, the friend I talked to about who read the book along with me this summer had the same complaint that I would have had if I didn't know what was going to happen. But it was basically, you know, the phrase Mary Sue. They talked about it a lot with the new Star Wars movies with Daisy Ridley's character, Ray, where hmm. basically a character is good at everything. Oh, yeah. OK. Paul is like three messiahs in this. <laughs> he's the he's the Benny Gesserit messiah. He's uh, um, the, the Fremen's messiah. And like, you know, Trades. You know, and there is a feeling you get to the end of the book, especially and it's, it's accentuated in the Lynch version where he's like, he's the Mary Sue. He's good at everything. He's, he's Jesus of everything. And where they're going with this, like power is not a good thing. But, you know, again, Denise. And I think Denny even is the one that's actually going to show that. The, the, yeah, he did. I, right off the bat, we see, uh, we see Paul doing homework. We see Paul studying. Paul is open to things. And they're, they're, it's touched upon the other two versions too, but I think he did it better uh, in terms of because uh, there's one sequence in the TV mini series where he just chimes in at a, at a political discussion at the table. Yeah, and, that's and, the uh, that's the big uh, um, political uh, dinner that like, with oh, the princess. No, the princess is not there. This is just uh, this is oh, a different scene. Yeah, earlier scene where they hadn't they hadn't left yet for. Uh, uh, Dude, and he just like, oh, well, you're really savvy, and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, eased into a little bit better, I thought. But, okay. Uh, well, because one thing that is not in the Villeneuve version is that uh, his father, it's in, it's weird because it's in the trailer, um, that um, his dad, as as adept as he is, did make mis- is making mistakes. Um, we should mention also, um, did you see Denny Villeneuve's special thanks? Oh, I mean, oh, oh, in the his in the credits. His well, one of the first things. credits, uh, one of the first uh, uh, consultants is Kevin J. Anderson, who was uh, along with Brian Herbert, the writer of all the sequel post Frank Herbert books. Okay, uh, which is Kevin J. Anderson wrote a bunch of the extended uh, Star Wars books, and these were X file stuff. But also in the credits, uh, Craig Mazin, a really great screenwriter who did Chernobyl, um, but one that uh, Brian K. Vaughn. Oh yeah, right. and Brian K. Vaughn taught, uh, went to Instagram and said that um, his contribution was very low. But Dune's a big influence on all of his work. Much less, he's the one that's nailing a saga that big right now, the comics version saga. I'm but sure we'll see a movie version of that. And there's a few other names, but the three I wrote down is he has a murderer's row of editors that are, that he especially think, which you got to imagine were consultants on it. He's got Stephen Mironi, Tom Cross, and Christopher Rouse. Um, Steve Mironi was uh, Soderbergh's editor and has edited a lot of great odds movies. Tom Cross, uh, La La Land, a lot of Damien Chazelle, and Christopher Rouse did some of the Bourne movies, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's 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 some stuff in the trailers that uh, it's not in the movie. My point, like he's still, like it, it was a movie that supposedly uh, the great. This movie's edited by the great Joe Walker, who's edited a lot of Villeneuve's movies. 
Um, and it sounds like they they did a little bit. They used COVID to kind of make this to massage the movie a little. Yeah, well, I can believe that. It's because it just it it it's, it flows smoothly, like the waters of life. Uh, I, <laughs> the deserts, uh, wind blows in the desert. Nothing excites me more than this trilogy. I hope I hope they get two makes part two makes money and they do Messiah. I and wish, it sounds like he has an idea of how to go, it would do with it. I almost wish I had a chance to see it again before we did this podcast, just to be able to articulate more why this one because i i saw somebody who i a friend of mine a friend of i think you might know you know him too i think he got on facebook and said you know i, I can't it was boring couldn't couldn't get into it and this guy loves the big franchise movies you know the big you know the big ones you know, all the go-to and he just couldn't get into this i'm just well cool i don't agree with him um <laughs> we had hbo max uh, uh upstairs you can watch it i've, I've watched it two yeah and a half times i want to go to imax now. again i, I want to see that i've seen it twice in imax yeah. i I, made, I have my nephew watch it too yeah so yeah. yeah it's wonderful so i guess we'll have to do an amending version of this episode it, yeah appendix <laughs> another appendix well, no, when, when, when in the, two the second, years when the second one comes out we if we're still doing podcasts we we'll just do a follow-up you know or we'll do one when the, the third one fingers crossed comes out uh, uh thanks everybody for listening ted do you have anything else no that's uh that's you no know, just go see dune go see dune this is the second episode we've ended go see dune <laughs>